Welcome to my mom's podcast. You're listening to the Early Childhood Journeys podcast, where we chat with educators, community members, and advocates of early childhood alike through candid and real conversations, focusing on the person behind the practice, along with some tips and strategies as well. I'm your host, Marisa. Welcome, everybody, back to another Early Childhood Journeys podcast episode. Um, I am joined today by Christopher Lawrence. Now, my connection with Christopher, um, my connection with you, Christopher, starts with Dr. Garcia. So in my work with the Lessie Group, part of that work involves doing these outreach um, vendor tables statewide with the kindergarten experience. And aside from that, though, I, I know you, that you have been also connected with the Department of Education one way or another. It's just kind of like a circle jerk, I feel like. Like we know each other through the early childhood field and sector and that way, that connection there. Um, with that, after some conversation with Dr. Garcia and talking about who you work for, for the company teaching strategies, um, I know for me personally, I've used that in a preschool setting with the curriculum. It's one of the few curriculums. Um, I'm just going to be, this is my podcast and I'm not, I'm, I'm going to be full disclosure. I like doing truth bombs here, but it's one of the curriculums that I know for myself and Dr. Garcia that we can support. <laughs> um, it's, it's, very easy. And uh, I want to say it's just kind of like an organic approach to teaching with young children. Um, it's, it's really nicely done. And it's one of the few, what I, what we call box curriculums. And I don't want to say box, like it limits it, but it's one of those curriculums that is really user-friendly in our early childhood sector. Um, so Christopher was on a podcast with Dr. Garcia, and you guys talked a little bit about a lot in alignment with um, the formative assessment tool that's out right now um, called the Kindergarten Developmental Inventory or the K-3rd Formative Assessment Tool with Department of Ed. And it's been um, a training that we've been doing with the kindergarten experience and just kind of preparing in general how to do quality formative assessment with kindergarten teachers. So with that, I told uh, Dr. Garcia, I'm like, I'm going to get Christopher on my podcast. I just want to talk about him. <laughs> I want to know about what you do as far as what keeps you going, because I, I think that um, it's important to highlight the person behind the practice and that you had your own early childhood journey and um, where you're at now. So tell me a little bit about uh, what you're doing right now for work. Yeah, well, I have been with Teaching Strategies for seven years now, which is pretty amazing because uh, prior to Teaching Strategies, I never stayed with the same employment for greater than three years. Wow. So there should speak some volume to uh, the quality of the company. And it's funny that you actually talk about creative curriculum and being the more organic approach and kind of what's right for the children. That's what actually drew me to the company um, because I was a preschool director for a school district in the Phoenix area. And uh, I just was having a great conflict of philosophy. You know, the direction that they wanted to go in was not best practice. It was really that push down approach from high school down to middle school down to elementary school to making preschool the old first grade. Mm -hmm. And it just wasn't going to work for me anymore. So uh, I was familiar with teaching strategies as a company. My very first preschool program that I ran, we used the Creative Freakin' Fourth Edition. And philosophically, it's just what was right for children, you know, helping them 
learn from what their interests are in a more natural way. Definitely the developmentally appropriate practice that we all preach and, and talk about probably too much because <laughs> just do it instead of still talking about it. And then I moved into uh, the use of gold as a formative assessment tool, summative assessment tool for Arizona Department of Education requirements. But I really saw authentically what that tool can be and how teachers can learn more about their students and, and use it to drive their work. So when I had this opportunity to join the company seven years ago, just couldn't pass it up. I mean, it's just it was perfect for me to get to what, again, knew what was right for children. Uh, but if you really want to take my journey back and figure out how I got into early childhood, absolutely, uh, my desire was always to be a first grade teacher. So right there in the heart of what uh, early childhood is all about. I did struggle to get a teaching job straight out of college. Um, and the first one that I had an opportunity for was a middle school, high school special education position. Again, wasn't ideally what I wanted, but I just had to get into education finally. I, I had a degree, might as well use it. So I, I took advantage of it. Um, and I got to work actually with uh, students with severe and multiple disabilities. So they were actually functioning like preschoolers. These were 15 to 20 year old children that had uh, developmental capacity about three to five years of age. So it was really kind of taking me right to where I wanted to go. Uh, from there, I moved into a, a fourth grade teaching position, which uh, was at a charter school, but I'd actually applied for a first grade opening, got <laughs> placed in the fourth. Like, hey, I'm getting closer. Um, as the year went on, I talked to other teachers and I found that there was a teacher that was placed in first grade that had applied for fourth grade. So again, I applied for first, got placed in fourth. She applied for fourth, got a placed in first. So it was the complete opposite of what we had applied for. And I don't hold back too often. I asked the principal, what's the deal with this? You know, yeah. I applied for first, she applied for fourth, he placed this in the other. And his response was, Men belong in the older grades. Women belong in the younger grades. Oh, my gosh. That could be so, a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah. So that pretty much uh, upset me to the point of me deciding I'm going to take control over this. And that very next school year, I became a preschool director. I was oh. uh, one semester shy of having my ed leadership certificate to be a principal. So I earned that. And immediately after that, I got my master's in early childhood as well. And that really just what opened the gate. So I've been in early childhood for about 14 years now, thanks to an administrator telling me that men belong in the older grades and women belong in the younger grades. So yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. I it hope was, you guys are hearing that and I'm inspired already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I tried to do all the best that I could to bring more men into the field as I was a, a preschool leader. Um, but it was hard to find. There's just not a lot of us out there. There's still that stigma too. Of there must be something wrong with a male that wants to be with children that young, um, perceived as that sexual predator or whatever, which is so yeah. incorrect. Uh, my preschool, first preschool position that I took over, it took about four to six months before the community accepted me as somebody who was there for the benefit of the children and not there to harm them. Um, but once I proved to people that my best interest was all for the children, getting them as school and life ready as possible, uh, those those walls came down pretty quick. And uh, from there, we made some great changes in that school community. So I want to I want to touch on that. That's a really, really great um, talking point about getting more males into our early childhood classrooms as perhaps a new director that is listening to this. Um, what would be maybe a couple of tips to try to market to that demographic? Well, I think a lot of it's going to be partnering with the universities, really, um, and be able to find those people in there and support them and groom them. Because, again, it may not be 
an easy entry into yeah. that field because again, some of those stigmas that are out there. So it's really just finding that support, uh, helping be able to change the culture of that community where it's more welcoming as well. But um, again, if you really do take a look at the universities, the early childhood ed prep programs, it's still a very female heavy area, uh, without a doubt. I mean, education as a whole is still very much female heavy, especially fourth grade and younger. So it's just a really, it's important to show people that it's a very powerful time, uh, you know, as a male, I'm less mature <laughs> than a female sometimes, which means I like to have fun like a preschooler. And I enjoyed going into the classrooms and just getting on the ground and playing with children and asking these wonderful questions and just having fun. Um, as a preschool director, when I had those stressful days, I just shut my door and went into the classrooms and just started engaging children and having that natural curiosity come through. So you can kind of modeling those behaviors and showing men or even any other females out there too, that early childhood is all about engagement, being curious, being investigators of the world around you and just enjoying it so that it's not as much of a job as it is facilitating children through, through that journey of early childhood. Yes. And I think when you're doing that type of role modeling, it's helping parents see that as well that you're replicating a home-like situation that we want to have in the classroom as well. So they're seeing the male teacher interact appropriately, just like the females uh, in the classroom as well. What yeah. was one of the ways that you would maybe um, handle some parents? I don't know if you ever had these situations or informing parents that the importance of having um, a male classroom teacher. Uh, uh. I mean, it's just, I hadn't, I didn't have too many that were against it. That's for sure. I had two men out of my staff of 24 teachers. So I had 24 classrooms in my last preschool, two male teachers. So actually it was only four men on the entire campus out of 110 that worked. Wow. Um, it was me, a custodian and two male teachers. That was it. And again, I tried my best to keep going. <laughs> and I just didn't have yeah. enough qualified people come across my way, but um, I didn't really have as much resistance in this last preschool program as I did when I first became the preschool director because there was a male that was a teacher there longer than I was, and he was actually very well respected by the community. So I had many families that requested to be in his classroom uh, because he established himself and he he was known nice by who was foundation, there. yeah. So I, I didn't have too much I had to worry about on. Fortunately, I guess yeah. you could say, but also unfortunately, because I just didn't have that many people to be exposed in those male role models too. But that's really what it comes down to. I mean, you still have, you know, so many single family households nowadays that it's really important for those children at the younger grade levels to be able to have that male role model in their lives positively to support them and show them kind of both sides of the fence of life. So. Okay. So if I have a student, an early childhood student, that's um, kind of at a crossroads, a male early childhood student, what would be maybe a deciding factor that you would want to encourage that student to, to continue on to the preschool path um, versus changing fields? I, I run into that a lot when the, I have some um, university students are doing some foundational coursework and they're still trying to specialize. Do I want to be in the classroom or um, maybe they want to go a different route? How can, what would be some advice for that student? Yeah. 
I would like to know what their true reasoning is. Is it the social stigma of men not meant to be in those younger grade levels, or is there another driving force that they want to have later in life? Um, you know, obviously there's not as many preschool programs as there are elementary schools, middle schools, high schools. So does that person have the desire to become an administrator later in life? And they see that there might be greater opportunities for them if they were to go to those older grade levels or not, which, yeah. you know, I, I don't, I don't think that's really an important decision to be making, like using those facts to drive that because all, yeah. in all honesty, a lot of our preschool directors in Arizona, at least, are starting to get towards that retirement age. And there's going to be a lot of opportunities that are going to be coming up for new leaders to come in and establish themselves as great role models for educators, for students, for families on what appropriate early childhood education is supposed to be about. So I would say just have some patience, you know, get that skill set that you need, develop your leadership skills and your opportunities will be coming up if that's what your main intent would happen to be. But uh, otherwise, forget that social stigma of being in the younger grade levels. I'm just going to throw this out there, Christopher. I'm going to put your contact information in my show notes. So for any of those guys that are listening to us, I would um, really encourage you to connect with Christopher. I'm really big about mentors. I'm big about um, getting some support systems and having some um, sounding boards, you know, to talk about some of your, your coursework or your journey in this field. So I know um, when you were coming up, did you happen to have any uh, mentors that supported you or that you can bounce some ideas off of? Not so much in early childhood, though. Um, But yeah, when I first became a preschool director, I had the other young male principals of the elementary schools in the district that I was in that helped support me and um, teach me the ways of administration so that I can be more knowledgeable on just budgets and other things like that. But what I really did lean on were my very experienced teachers to help me better understand what best practices were uh, and then continue my education, like I mentioned, to understand what current research is saying is best practice. So it's really finding a whole network or a whole family of people that can support you along that way. And I'd be happy to talk to anybody out there, male or female, about my own personal journey. Um, I teach university courses for a reason still to this day because I feel like it's uh, an important thing to be able to help provide as much knowledge as possible for anybody that's up and coming to, to be the best that they possibly can be for the students of our, our classrooms today. Yeah, absolutely. And I know I wanted to mention that as well, that you're also an online instructor, correct? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. How's that going? <laughs> I love it. Uh, unfortunately it's in California. Um, yeah. It's, so it's not our own people in our own backyard. Uh, but I have had the opportunity to teach a couple courses on developmentally appropriate curriculum and also observation and assessment of the early childhood classroom. And it's quite amazing because a lot of the students that I have are current practitioners that already do assessment, but they do it for the sake of just doing assessment. They don't mm-hmm. understand the true purpose of it. So I've really been able to you know, shift some minds for current educators that are professionals that are certified already and better understand um, taking what they already do but make it better, make it more powerful, show them those results, actually give them that value of the process that they're going through and all the work that they're doing on a daily and regular basis. And that's really mimicking a lot of what we're trying to do with the Arizona Department of Education. I mean, we have specifically in the preschool um, gold as the mandated assessment tool. And it's very much seen as a compliance-based requirement that ADE says we have to do this, so I have to do it. But then as soon as I'm done with it, I'm going to put it away and not worry about it for three more months, which is 
so unfortunate because we're missing the opportunity to truly shape the children's lives on a more frequent basis as that true formative assessment tool yeah. that it is. And I think ADE is doing a much better job of informing the kindergarten teachers, first, second, third grade teachers that are starting to use gold in the state on truly how powerful the tool this can be to individualize instruction, make sure that we're reaching all those outliers and, and getting these children to succeed as far as they can while they're with us in our classroom. So we've learned a lot from our first experience with gold. Uh, we're still trying to grow and shape it as well, but uh, the kickoff for the K through three formative assessment process has been much stronger yeah. through those trials and errors. Okay, now let me shift gears here. Um, I always like to ask my guests, what was your first job that inspired you, very first job that inspired you to, to enter this field, or that maybe was like the step that led to the step to, to this field? So it wasn't a job. <laughs> um, it was me having a child as a teenager. Really? Uh, yeah, I had my first child when oh, I was in high let's school. Let's hear about that, yeah. yeah. So I was actually, if any, I don't stay in touch with people from high school anymore, but if anybody from high school saw me today, they probably would fall over dead uh, because I was a step away from being a high school dropout. I had no intentions in ever going to college. I thought it was a waste of my time. And then I found out I was going to be a dad. And that was part of my inspiration to go to school and to make sure that my daughter had a parent who could support her to the full capacity to be successful in life as well. So that's really what springboarded me into education more than anything else. Um, again, kind of like I alluded to before, I'm very much a kid at heart. Mm -hmm. So I like just to be around younger people because I connect better. I feel like I can have fun. I can help lead them, inspire them and all of that. Um, and when I went through college, you know, I was a camp counselor during the summers as I was learning to be an educator. And it just kept reiterating to me the importance to be in this field, you know, to help my daughter, to help any child that can come across my path and help them be as successful as possible. And you have uh, um, children, like aside from your 14-year-old, I have right? five children, yeah. So actually, I have a 22-year-old, an 18-year-old, a 14-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a 3-year-old. And if and for those of you guys that are listening to us, he looks great. He looks well-rested. <laughs> Appreciate that, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I know that's kind of the way that uh, I came up into this field as well. I didn't think I was going to ever going to college myself I didn't think I was going to make it after high school and um but thankfully um been starting that journey and and also the same thing just continuing on treading along and I know um because you mentioned you have your your 14 year I didn't realize you had your the, now the, yeah the 22 year old yeah. I always lie I have a 17 year old and I always say oh yeah I was very very young when I when I had her but um I had her after high school yeah yeah and I have my four-year-old too, so I know we've talked about our our little ones that we that we deal with when we meet up as well. Um, that's that's going to lead me to my next question: How do you um, relieve burnout? How do you decompress? I'm a big I'm big about energy yeah. and Zen with my podcast, and that's why I do the whole journey thing. So, talk to me a little bit about what that looks like for you. Yeah, well. Uh... With my current job that I have, I do get to support all of Arizona and Southern California. So part of my energy comes from branching out and getting to see other people, what their experiences are, giving me new ideas that I can share with others. Uh, that's definitely something that 
provides that sense of keep going for me. Um, and then personal life wise, um, I I'm involved into a lot of sports. So I run, I play soccer, I do Taekwondo. I am in competitions for all of that and everything. So those are the other things that just keeps me healthy and wanting to keep that drive going forward. So, but kids too, I mean, my own five children, they, they keep me in touch with early childhood. I've been doing it for technically 22 years that way. Um, and I keep doing it because I got a three-year-old that just started preschool this week. So I, I really get to understand what's going on out there right now and again, keeping fresh with it. That's, that's what it's all about. That's great. I I can't, I can barely handle my, well, I'd say we can barely handle our two. Yeah. Oh, all props to you guys, yeah. <laughs> to your, to your family. Absolutely. Um, okay. Let's see. I wanted to also mention for our directors that are listening to us with um, teaching strategies, you know, it's, it, it's pricey. The, the, the materials on there, I was checking out the website and, um, for those um, independently owned childcare centers or whatever, is there any tip or perhaps a wish list? Like if they had to choose one type of product or a starter, anything that's out there for them? Yeah, and you say it's pricey, and for individual childcare owners, you're absolutely correct because it's a business that doesn't make a ton of money, so it is a little bit harder there. Uh, but when you look at us, we're actually very competitive with other products out there, very, very similarly priced. Yeah. Um, it's really trying to do a self-reflection and assessment of what it is that you need. Um, you know, you've got our assessment tool of gold that will help you understand exactly where children are at in their progressions. And then within the tool itself, once you identify the skill that a child has today, you already see what research says is the next development to the appropriate skill that a child should be developing. So that could be the right start for some people. Some people might already have their own assessments that they've built or purchased in the past that are working great for them. And it's a curricular resource that they need at that time. Um, and all of our curricular resources are aligned to the Arizona Early Learning Standards, the kindergarten standards. It's out there. It's on our website. So you know that you're meeting what the state is looking for within the children. And you can use that as a great marketing tool. And that's the way that I try to approach it with child care, child care providers is let families know that you're using a research-based, evidence-based curricular resource to make sure that you're getting their child ready for that next step in their life, whether it's kindergarten or whatever it might be. But you know that you're answering the state's asks of what a child should have at that point in their life and go from there. And it has a lot of weight that goes with it. Um, there's obviously grants that are out there too that people can participate in yeah. that can afford some funding. And then just even different people going out for different programs. I mean, we've got a lot of major corporations in the Phoenix area that oh, yeah. supports the entire state. Um, I've got one of the larger school districts in Arizona that actually went to Boeing and got a grant and they outfitted every single classroom with the creative curriculum. Again, even though they're the largest school districts, one of the largest school districts out there, they went out for grant funding to help support them in getting that implemented in their program. So it's really just about being creative, partnering with people in the local community because Business owners, they have some monies that they can give to help and they get to write it off in taxes and it helps really, again, everybody in that community going forward. But truly the first step is to prioritize what your needs are. Um, that's something I try to do with people. I am not a pushy person by any means. I am somebody that's trying to educate you on what's out there and help you make the right decision for yourself, whatever that direction may be. So it's just, you know, get a consultant, talk with them, analyze what you are doing today, What's your next step? And then prioritize in that direction. 
Yeah. I'm always about trying to create some awareness um, outside of our early childhood feel. One of the reasons why I started this podcast and I, one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on as well. My next question is, what do you think are some misconceptions about our field that you would want those outside of our early childhood, you know, bubble to know about? It's not just daycare. <laughs> I mean, we're significantly greater than that. Um, and then just to do some research because there's so much research out there that's showing that this is the optimal time in a child's life to give them the foundational skills that they need for success. So if we're looking at social competencies and social value as a community as a whole, it all starts right now. Um, we need to invest, obviously, in early childhood. I mean, so much of what we do in early childhood looks like play, but what we're really doing is developing that social-emotional skills. So you're talking about your workforce that you're going to need to collaborate 20, 30 years from now. You've got to develop these skills now because most of research says these skills are developed by the age of five. Maybe you got till about the age of seven at the latest to develop social-emotional skills, but most of it's prior to the age of five. So we really need to invest into our communities you know, see the value of this and that the return on the investment will come, yes, 10, 15, 20 years later down the road, whatever it might be. But without that investment now, you're never going to get that competent workforce that you need later. Yeah, absolutely. Well, is there any other comments you'd like to add to our listeners before I let you go? Uh, feel free to reach out. I know you're going to share my contact information. Uh, I always love having conversations with people just to kind of see where they're at, reflect, and for me to learn new things as well. I definitely don't know everything and things are always constantly evolving and changing. And I, I love taking from others what's working for them and using it to inspire others to become even stronger in what their practice happens to be as well. So um, obviously we in this podcast arena knows the importance of this and it's just always about, you know, being strong, pushing forward and continue to advocate for the great work that we do because, you know, we're making those gains, but it's a long process before we get the entire area to understand how important this work happens to be. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Christopher, for coming on. I really appreciate you taking the time and joining me today. I appreciate the invite as always. And I'll be sure on the show notes, I'll put your email and I'm going to put the teaching strategies um, website address as well for those of you that want to learn more about um, teaching strategies. All right, thanks very much. Thank you.